Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And with us today is my best friend in the whole world. She's sort of like, you know, my sister's best friend since middle school is Melissa. Megan is my Melissa. <laughs> oh, I didn't even say her name yet. She's Megan now. That's who she is. Hi, Megan. Hi, Megan. And, Hi. and just like how Jay is close to both of us, I'm close to Megan too. It's beautiful. I've known you longer than I've known Kate. That's true. A I'm lot one... longer, right? At least probably three years or so, maybe. I don't know. I think I was maybe 10. Oh, yeah. You were little and so cute. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Our moms were coworkers. And so I knew Megan that way. And then when they moved to Pittsburgh, I knew that you were the same age as Caleb. And didn't I say you two should be friends? Yes. And I was at Pizza Hut with you and our moms, I think. And we saw the Hoyers. And you pointed out him out to me. And that was it. Oh. <laughs> she was a little matchmaker. I, I guess so. Megan and I, like... Megan and I literally conquered our high school. We were the most popular <laughs> kids in school. I by our senior year, I honestly felt like we owned the school. <laughs> I did not feel that way about my senior year. You know how in movies, like at prom, one couple will be dancing and everyone clears out and just watches that couple dance. And you watch at home and you're like, that doesn't happen. That happened with Megan and me. <laughs> <laughs> we tried to copy Romy and Michelle dance moves, right? Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. I was certainly it was inspired by. pretty good. And Megan and I did the last five years together in yes. our senior year, and we starred in Bye Bye Birdie. I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> sounding really big headed. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying how many special memories I have. Well, yeah, there's a lot. And we also sang a song I wrote for Melissa's wedding at her wedding. How about the rest of our lives? Walking the road, giving all I can give. Every step, every stride, shall I stick by your side for as long as we live? For as beautiful song and the most beautiful memory i remember just like that was one of the moments that made me cry the most at my wedding it was so wonderful oh i was really scared because i hadn't sang in public since maybe high school graduation or maybe a little bit after and i'd only ever sang with caleb i've never sang without him ever and so he's kind of like my security blanket and i don't think i could ever do it without him but before we went up there, I remember looking at him and I'm like, Caleb, what if I forget the words? What am I going to do? And he's like, you won't. I'm like, but just tell me the first few words. And he wouldn't. But I remember. I wouldn't? Oh, no. man. You're like, you'll remember. It was probably a throw you into the deep end of the ocean kind of, or pool. The, yeah. You know, the deep end of the pool. Although it is kind of indicative of one of the aspects of our friendship, which is me just being really mean to Megan. And I don't know why that is the way we are or the way I am, yeah, but it is. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> is it genuinely mean or is it like one of those pushing uh, you to grow kind of oh, things? Oh, it's certainly not that. I, I'm, it's more genuinely mean than push. It's not for any purpose 
I think other than my own amusement. <laughs> and see, my, no. my favorite my favorite part of that is like when I would be at her house, I would be, I would be like smacking her around or something. I don't know, we'd like wrestle or something. And she would complain and like her father would walk through and Megan would say, look what he's doing to me. And her father would go, now, Megan, he's our guest. <laughs> he would side with me. Oh, no. Oh, man. This doesn't oh. make me sound good. I'm realizing. <laughs> you know, we're all like pop culture junkies and Melissa was often our adult to take us to scary R-rated <laughs> movies when we were... In middle school and like early high school. That's true. We saw Scream 3. That might be the best one because we are all obsessed with the Scream series. And that yes. was so fun. Yeah. I think the first one you took us to was Scary Movie. <laughs> was wow. How old were you when I took you to movies? You couldn't have been that Six, young. Six, seven. <laughs> <laughs> I am it only four 13. and a half years older than you guys. 13. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so as soon as you were legal, you were like, kids. Melissa, let's, get us in Let's go to the movies. I never bought anyone alcohol, though, so that makes me feel better. <laughs> Maybe I took you to the movies, but that that was it. That's true. That was our alcohol. <laughs> Aw. Well, Megan, where are you joining us from today? I live in Overland Park, Kansas, which is in the Kansas City metro area. I live with my cat, Phyllis Diller. <laughs> And I just spend all my time watching movies and doing absolutely nothing else. <laughs> You're the most fun to hang out with. That is so true. Oh, oh my gosh, thank I can't you. wait until our next hang. I know. I, I know. wish we could all be together. Yeah, yeah, I would love that. So Phyllis Diller is your like team now. What was your team growing up, your family sitch? Uh, my mom, Susan, and my dad, Lloyd. I'm an only child, but we had a cat named Charlene who Caleb met uh, when we were teenagers. She's long gone now. And a dog, Shane. And then my grandparents lived across the field from us. So we would go there a lot for dinner with my mom. When she was getting her PhD or whatever, We, my dad and I would go over there for dinner and hang out there. And so that was kind of my whole unit it was just my parents and then my grandparents. Now, the field, that's before I knew you. Yes. So that was, this was in Missouri. And I moved to Kansas in 1999, I believe it was. So yeah, I lived in the sticks in Missouri <laughs> on a farm. <laughs> Not much of a farm girl. I'm an indoor girl, which I don't think my dad liked very much, but that's okay. Oh, and you're very close to your parents, right? You, you know, you said that your dad didn't really love that you were an indoor girl, but your your parents literally love everything about you, really, <laughs> don't they? I mean, you guys are so close. Yeah, I, so we sweet. are maybe like, maybe closer than some families. I don't know. But I was just so used to that growing up, like my mom and I have always had a lot in common and we just like to hang out and, you know, before all this COVID stuff, you know, like go thrifting and watch movies, and go on vacations, all that stuff, which will be nice to start again. I think my dad and I, when I was a kid, bonded over action movies. So we watched a lot of Harrison Ford and stuff like that. So I love watching action movies because then it just makes me think of my dad. So. Aww. Huh. How do you feel about the term lonely only? Lonely only? What is that? What Have you ever heard term? that? No, I haven't. Oh, it's just a nickname for only children. Oh, I'm a lonely oh. only. I've never heard that. I guess I should just then ask you, like, did you like being an only child? Or did you ever wish that you had a larger family? I liked being an only child up until probably my late 20s. Because <laughs> um, my mom started having some health issues and 
I then realized that it would probably be nice to have maybe siblings to be there to help support her and my dad and everything. And I still kind of feel that way, but it's, I've got a lot of friends. So that's, you know, all the support I need. But when I was little, I didn't really care because I had such a good childhood. And there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have been able to do if I had a sibling. My mom would take me with her to different conferences and different trips for work. And so I don't think that that would have been possible if they had other kids. Well, and those conferences were sometimes in different countries, right? I mean, it wasn't yeah. just like taking you to Tulsa or something. Yeah. It was, <laughs> Which is where I was no, born. No disrespect, Tulsa. Yeah. But. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, these conferences would be in like Anaheim or Orlando. So we'd get to go to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Universal, all that stuff. So that was always really fun. And then when I got to be older, like college age, we went to Hungary and... Then you go to Russia? Yes, that was um, part of an exchange program in high school. Oh, cool. Um, so I think the only international conference I went to with her was in Hungary, but we've traveled overseas a few times since then. That's so cool. I love that. I've never traveled overseas with my mom. Um, it's really sweet that you guys can do that, you know? Yeah, it's, it's nice. That's great. Well, our last question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your history with the show Parenthood? Well... I'd never seen an episode before today, um, but I just remember <laughs> over the years hearing the both of you talk about it um, and how much you liked it and then how much you thought maybe I wouldn't like it. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, today was my first viewing. I didn't really know anything about the show. And you watched just this episode, right? Yes. Team Braverman. Well, before we get into it, why don't we just like your nutshell, like thumbs up or thumbs down or thumbs middle? Uh, probably thumbs middle. And I'll tell you why, because I am a sucker for any sort of like teen high school TV show. And so the whole thing with Mae Whitman and her cousin and all that, I, I got into, like, I really wanted Mae Whitman to like, just punch her cousin in the face because she was really annoying. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think that's part of why we wanted you for like this particular storyline, because we thought if anything about parenthood is going to appeal to Megan, it is that like sort of teen drama, because you and I have so much fun watching teen dramas together. And so I thought, yes. yeah, maybe this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. I had all queued up, ready to go. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> In case you said you hated it. But, um, so no, so it's not going to be hate. That's good. Uh, well, like Megan said, we are discussing Team Braverman, which is Parenthood Season 1, Episode 12. It was written by Jan Oxenberg and directed by Lawrence Trilling. It originally aired on May 18th, 2010. And here's the official NBC synopsis. A family walk for autism is jeopardized when Sarah and Adam disagree over their daughter's behavior. Julia is forced to be on the Angel Committee at Sydney's school, but is nonplussed when she has to take care of a single mom recovering from a breast augmentation. Hattie and Amber's secret anger comes to a head and splits the family in two. Elsewhere, Julia tries to help Zeke by arranging a dinner meeting for him. Meanwhile, Crosby risks losing Jasmine to New York after she auditions for a dance company. You know, just reading that right now, here's this line, Elsewhere, Julia tries to help Zeke by arranging a dinner meeting for him. That doesn't happen in this episode, does it? Hi. Huh. Yeah. I was just wondering, who is Zeke? Oh, that is the dad or the grandfather. That's Craig T. Nelson. I should just say that. Oh, yeah. I feel like he didn't show up at all except that one time when Peter Krause like met him to go walking with him or something that one time, right? That's true. And I don't know if anyone ever said his name in this episode. 
I never heard it yet, which is why I questioned it now. Because I specifically remember thinking that his hair was so terrible the one time that I saw him in the episode. So <laughs> I don't yeah. think I saw him anymore than once. No spoilers. Well, here's a little spoiler. I think that one line is a plot line in the next episode. Huh. Interesting. I think Julia tries to set Zeke up to discuss financial stuff, and he doesn't want to. Hmm. Coming soon, listeners. <laughs> Tune in next week. Uh, but so for this week, Team Braverman, at the beginning of the episode, I thought it was so nice just to see Adam and Max connecting over something, over anything, like riding on that forklift together was sweet. I wrote that down too. I loved the way that Adam talks to his son. And I felt like this episode showcases that exceptionally well. You know, he um, is really patient and Max asks a lot of questions and I love the way that Adam answers them. And he took it in stride when he was like, that's using the old noodle. And of course, Max is so literal and he's like, I don't have a noodle. I have a brain. And <laughs> I like that that Adam didn't get like upset with that or like, I'm. he just says, you are correct. <laughs> you know, and I like that. I think he does a good job of meeting him where he is and really, you know, bonding with him for who he is. Um, maybe that's something that he didn't do earlier in the season. So maybe that's really some growth that we've seen. Max seems a little unaware that he himself has an autism spectrum disorder. All right, see you next. And the winner gets a trophy. A trophy! I thought, I thought this would so be a really nice, positive thing for the family to do together. You know? Nice, Adam. Uh, okay, okay, everybody, grab your sneakers, put them on. Let's walk for those kids with autism. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I liked that Zeke, of all people, seemed to just blow right through that and just cheer Max on. <laughs> yeah, the, the siblings were the ones who were like, oh, um, so I guess he doesn't know. That's one of my favorite types of scenes in like TV or film where it's like so funny if you look at it one way, but it's so thought provoking if you look at it another way. And so I loved that I both found that hilarious, <laughs> but I was also like, huh, is it okay that he's walking for autism and doesn't know that he has autism? I still don't know. I haven't really come to any conclusion. I mean, obviously it's okay, but I kept wondering, should they tell him? Well, and Christina went to see Dr. Blue-Footed Booby about it. And <laughs> he just said, you know, Max will let you know when he's ready. But I wrote down, like, Max has already noticed to a degree, at least, right? We mentioned earlier in the series when they're trying to get in to see Dr. Roadrunner, <laughs> they're talking about him in front of Max and saying he's like the autism whisperer. I forget what they call him, but it seems right in front of Max. And then after the incident with the genitazios where they faked being sick oh, yeah. to get out of a play day, Max seemed visibly upset by that. You know, I don't know if that means he knows that he is autistic, but I think he would have some clue of like, oh, I'm different from other kids, aren't I? I felt like he was asking explicitly at the end of this episode when he says to Adam, why did we walk for autism? Plenty of other charities. That's exactly what Dr. Pelican was talking about. He was talking about, he'll let you know. And I thought that the episode would end with Adam looking behind him at Christina and they would nod at each other like, it's time. But instead, he was like, they have the the best trophy. And I thought, I feel like that was a real missed opportunity. I feel like that was Max asking 
like literally asking a question about it. And the way the way that Max Burkholder phrased it, the way he kind of played that, I thought he was really kind of leading. Like like I know that there might be a reason why. You know, Adam even dedicated the trophy to him. This is for my son Max. Max is so smart. I feel like he has some indication. I don't know. Megan, any thoughts on this? Well, it was interesting to me whenever Monica Potter was with Dr. Sparrow or whatever his name. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> See why we're friends with her? <laughs> but it was interesting when they were talking about when should they tell their son that he is autistic. And I'd never thought about that before. Like I, it had never really, I don't, I have no children. I don't know anything about parenting or how to deal with like delicate subjects. So that was interesting for me to hear that that was a concern for a parent to bring up. I did kind of like that she, that when she was telling Adam about the meeting, that she just was bluntly saying it wasn't helpful at all. Yeah. It's like, okay, that feels, that would be my reaction too. I get that he was, he's the expert, but it didn't seem very comforting. I thought it actually was really good advice, but it is the kind of advice that if someone gave me, I wouldn't like it. You know, like as a third party observer, I'm like, yeah, he'll let you know. But if I'm in it, I'm like, no, don't do that. Tell me, give me, you know, give me explicit directions. Tell me exactly what to do. And also the whole thing feels just a tad contrived to me. I'm not sure I quite buy that he's totally oblivious. I mean, does he think every kid has a behavioral aid? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. But it is certainly an interesting storyline. It just feels a little bit like maybe they didn't realize that might be an interesting storyline until the end of the season. And so they had to a little bit say like, oh, ignore any signs up to now that he knows what's going on. Well, and I've, I've mentioned this multiple times, but it did bother me that here we are at the end of season one. And again, Christina says he doesn't know that there's anything wrong. She uses that word wrong again. And I thought, oh, haven't we grown past this? Wasn't that language that they used in the beginning? Does she still see it that way? And then it almost feels insidious that they're not telling Max because to me, if you tell Max, it like normalizes it, you know, and maybe normal isn't the right word to use when we're talking about this. But I just feel like not telling him and in the same episode saying he doesn't know there's something wrong. It just feels like if if you would tell him, that's like just saying you just you you there think isn't anything wrong. There isn't yeah. anything wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Hiding it does make it seem like a yeah, like you said, an insidious. Yeah. Don't shatter and, his innocence. It's like it's nothing to shatter your innocence. It's just who you are. Maybe this is a strange uh, comparison to make, but it makes me think a little bit about like adoption. Um, you know, some parents wait a long time to tell their kids that they're adopted and some parents just tell them right away. And I feel like it's probably best to tell kids right away, you know, just so that it is normalized. You know, um, I have a brother who's adopted and not telling him was never an option because he's a different race. So he doesn't look like us, you know, so he always grew up knowing that he was adopted at six months old by my dad. And then my parents got married when my brother was two and a half. Anyway, I just bring that up because that was always just the reality, you know, so there was nothing strange about it. And it was a comparison that I didn't even think when I was watching the episode, but I'm, I'm making it now, I guess that I just feel like it's kids are so smart, and they're so resilient. And I think sometimes we protect them in ways that maybe we don't even need to protect them. And so I, I do think Christina and Adam have great intentions. I'm not questioning that I just I wonder what the implications of their choices are. 
Good point. Well, this episode gets off to quite an explosive start. There's just a lot of yelling in this episode. <laughs> I felt like, you know, like after we had a few scenes of it, then another fight would start. I'm like, oh my God, we're yelling again. <laughs> I love fighting scenes, but it was it was a lot. And like even that shoe scene with Max, just tons of overlapping conversations. And then even before the credits begin, we get Amber and Hattie coming to like physical blows. One question I had for you guys, it seemed to me like, you know, when Amber's on the track at the beginning, she notices those girls heading her direction. And then she literally turns and walks straight into them. It almost seemed like she was like itching for a fight. It's like, just keep walking on the track in the other direction of those girls. Don't turn and walk towards them. I did not think she wanted to fight those girls at all. I got the impression that she was going the direction she needed to go in. And she was like bracing herself. Like she knew there would be a fight, but I didn't think she wanted there to be one. But that's interesting. I didn't notice anything. <laughs> really? I don't know. Just a quibble. So they, the parents get called into the office and then Hattie gives her version of what happened. Hattie, I want you to tell me what happened right now. Um, uh, don't, please stop. Amber told me to break up with Steve. Mm -hmm. And then <sighs> she had sex with him. What? Is that true? Don't. It's more complicated than that. It didn't happen that, that way. Yeah, it did. I can't believe you did. I want to leave Oh, my now. God. Please, let's go. Christina, I'm going to talk to Amber. That'd be super. Thanks. I think before we talk about this, Caleb, I think this is such a perfect opportunity since Megan has only seen this episode. What did you make of their situation? Because that was the first time that Amber and Hattie's parents heard what happened and it's also your first time hearing mm. what happened so megan what did you make of hattie's story did you believe it did you think there's got to be more to it than that what do you remember like how you felt about just getting that information so this is wrong but i just <laughs> <laughs> i like may whitman so much that i was automatically gonna side with her character which is really terrible and something about Hattie bothered me right off the bat. And it was probably just her group of friends, like that one that threw the drink on Mae Whitman. I can't think of her character name, sorry. Oh, Amber, but no problem. Okay, so I was just like, I was pretty soured on that character soon after seeing her for the first time. But what I kind of latched on was her mother, Monica Potter. I, for some reason, I don't know, I just feel like she wouldn't believe anybody but her daughter in kind of any situation, which is not fair because I've not seen any episodes before this or you know any others after but I felt like Lauren Graham's character was more willing to hear both sides and you know kind of be there for her daughter and I didn't feel like Monica Potter was as open to hearing someone else's side you know what I mean yes yeah I feel like that's a pretty fair observation it's not made explicit but I would agree also whenever they she and Peter Krause go to Hattie's room to talk to her about going to the, the walk the next day Monica Potter just kind of She's like, what a little liar. Yeah. She almost called Amber a bitch in that yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. And she made me think of like a lot of, like I used to work in a dorm in college and there were a ton of sorority girls in there before they pledged. And they'd have their mothers come stay with them for some sort of weekend with the sorority. And anyway, they were awful. Like a lot of the mothers were just as terrible as the daughters. And Monica Potter reminded me a lot of those mothers. I did feel like she revealed a like kind of condescending quality. Yes. That we hadn't quite seen up to now, I think. But like even just the end of that clip we just heard when she goes, that'd be super thanks. 
Yeah. I get where she's coming from. I get that she would be upset after just hearing that. And I don't even think it was intentional, but it did seem like if I were Sarah, I'd be like, oh my God, I hate when Christina talks to me like that. Like, it, I feel like she wouldn't be a great sister-in-law to have if I had a teenage daughter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it doesn't help. I mean, I think you do maybe get a sense of that from this episode, but Hattie is good at everything, you know, straight A student, AP student, um, and Amber struggles a lot more. Amber's just had a much harder life, I think, than Hattie has. And so it is interesting, I think, to look at this episode as just a snapshot and kind of see how that makes the mothers different and how it makes the daughters different. Something that bothered me about Hattie's version of events it's literally not true, right? Right. I mean, at least the aspect of Amber told me to break up with him. She did not tell Hattie to break up with Steve. Hattie told her that she had broken up with him, and Amber supported her and said, I think you did the right thing. That's really different. Because I agree, it would be really bad if Amber's goal had been to sleep with Steve, and so she told Hattie to break up with him. But she didn't do that. I think Hattie's just pissed and maybe wants to make her cousin look horrible in front of their parents. I don't know. You know, yeah. I could I could totally see that. But I think my interpretation was that to Hattie, that was the truth. And I think the truth is such a slippery thing. It's shaded by our own experiences and thoughts. And, you know, what is it about how like eyewitness testimony is like completely unreliable, things like that. I really think that in Hattie's mind, that's how it happened. I don't think Hattie is right, but I think in her mind, that is how it happened. And she really maybe is replacing her memory of Amber supporting her in that conversation. Like I broke up with Steve and her saying, you did the right thing, dude. Um, (laughs) I think she's replacing that conversation with Amber saying, you got to break up with him. And I don't think she's meaning to do that, but I think she is. That's just my version of it, though. I like I like what Megan said. I like the idea that maybe she's just making she's just being petty in that moment because she's hurt and pissed. I'm not sure which it is. Well, and I think it could easily be a blend of the two of of like she is hurt and pissed, and maybe she knows, like Amber says, that it's more complicated than that. But she's not exactly sure what happened, so she airs on the side of Amber totally fucked me over. Yeah. Well, and how, ooh, now I'm wondering if it is deliberate, then it seems really hurtful because she probably knows exactly who her parents would believe and maybe even thinks it's possible Sarah would believe her over her own daughter because she's the good one, quote unquote. Well, this is a small detail, but I noticed after the fight when it's just Adam and Sarah in the hall, there's a sign on the wall between them that's just hanging there and it says, make war, not peace. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> and it's a, a thing for their mascot, which is the warriors. But I thought, well, if that's supposed to be symbolic, it's not subtle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is um, something I noticed that it was like once Christina and Hattie went one direction and Amber went the other and it was just Adam and Sarah talking, it was like everything calmed way down and the two of them were able to maybe see the situation more clearly and I feel like Christina isn't. Christina is just very angry on her daughter's behalf and immediately does believe her. And I felt so conflicted this whole episode because I totally see what Megan's talking about. I found Christina like probably the most unlikable I've ever found her. But then I thought, why do I think that? She's just mad that <laughs> Hattie's cousin slept with her ex-boyfriend 
she's not wrong. But yeah, I thought the fact that she like insinuated that Amber was, you know, a whore, like, you know, they wouldn't write it on on Hattie's locker because she's not one was totally like calling her niece a whore. And that felt so petty. That felt like not something an adult would do. Um, that felt like something one of Hattie's friends would, you know, it, it was like she was hi- siding with Hattie's mean friends. I don't know. Well, and you've called out, uh, that's a little extreme to say call out, but you've noted Adam and Christina's privilege in other yeah. areas a lot of times. <laughs> and it does seem evident here that Christina has no experience with Hattie being involved in this kind of drama. Mm. And Sarah does. Yeah. And so Christina just can't imagine. You know, like Megan said that her daughter would have done anything wrong ever. Sarah can't imagine it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Sarah has a unrealistic view of who her daughter is and that she's not perfect. I don't think that's her argument ever. So thus, I think she has maybe a more realistic and maybe more like practical approach to solving the problems rather than just like defending her daughter's honor or something. Which is not to say that what happened to Hattie is okay. It's not. Right. But I don't think anyone is saying the opposite. I am curious now, Hattie didn't write whore on the locker, did she? I I assumed it was one of her main friends, but Sarah assumes that Hattie did it. And I I didn't think she probably did. I wouldn't have assumed Hattie personally. I didn't think that. I thought it was probably one of the girls in her group of friends. The one that threw the drink in Amber's face, maybe. I did say it was, well, for one thing, it was nice to see Amber and Drew together, even just in that little scene, to see some brother-sister unity. But then I also noted, alas, the whole Holt family seems destined to have their property vandalized. You know, Sarah gets bitch written across her car when Jim, when she breaks up with Jim and then Amber getting whore on her locker. And I put Drew's next. Like, what's the male equivalent of bitch or whore? Um, Man whore. You know, you have to (laughs) you have to put man in front of it because you assume that a bitch is a woman. Sorry, that's just a. I was joking because I feel like there aren't any equivalents. (laughs) (laughs) It's a it's a bit of a sore subject for me. Like you have to say male prostitute. You have to say male stripper because the default is that women. I don't know. I just I, I think we're making the same point. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. I was going to say that I loved that Drew agrees not to tell Sarah. You know, she's like, don't tell mom. But Drew immediately like takes a picture of it. We don't even see him do that. But, you know, in the next scene, Sarah says, well, he showed me this picture. And I thought that's him being supportive of Amber, not what she requests, but like what she really needs. You know, boyfriends will come and go, but this is Amber's reputation uh, yeah. and news just, school I, and, and it's just I, kind I, of a big deal. I know deal. that Hattie didn't have anything to do with this, but we will talk to her. I just, okay? I can't, I can't, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Yeah. I mean, Why? Amber slept with Steve. You guys are forgetting something really hey, important Christina, right now. No, hey, Amber Christina slept with Steve. I'm not standing around hey, trying to help Amber okay. through it. We're not trying to help Amber yes. through anything. Amber made a mistake and she apologized and so she did she the best apologize? she could. Okay, that's fine. Wow, she apologized. So you just, you apologize, you do whatever you want. You say, oh, I'm sorry. I made a big mistake. Is it so impossible to imagine that Hattie isn't perfect, or is it just so easy to blame everything on Amber? No, every time. I'm not doing a woe is me thing. I'm saying maybe your kid isn't perfect either. Please imagine if somebody wrote whore on Hattie's locker. It wouldn't happen because she's not. Oh, and Amber is a whore. Why don't we behave like adults? We will speak to Hattie about the locker, okay? I'm sure she didn't have anything to do with this, but we will talk to her. Okay. I'm sorry, Christina. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry, too. Honestly. Yeah, I know. 
I do love immediately after that fight, I feel like the look on Sarah's face is not saying I'm sorry at all. <laughs> Neither I'm is really Christina's. sorry, honestly. Stone face. <laughs> and Christina's like, yeah, I'm really sorry too. <laughs> She's not either. No. I thought that was an interesting scene just all on its own. But it makes me wonder what those two ladies really think of each other. Because up to now throughout this series, they certainly seem to get along. But what are their private opinions of each other? Well, Megan, you got a snapshot from this episode and you mentioned already that you feel like Christina wouldn't be a good sister-in-law to have. Um, I kind of feel like Christina would think that Sarah is like maybe too free-spirited or something or, you know, lets her kids do whatever and there's no structure or discipline. I don't know if that's true, but that's kind of the vibe I would get. And then maybe the opposite for Sarah. And I feel like maybe Sarah is just, just like whenever she was like, I'm so sorry, but you know, had no emotion on her face. Just, you know, let me get this over with and appease her. Like maybe Christina would be sort of hard to relate to in some ways almost, you know? Yeah. Well, I watched it back again a few times to try and hear because there were so many people talking on top of each other. And I noticed that Christina says, don't do the whole woe is me thing. I've had it. I'm so over it. Whoa, I didn't catch that at all. I wonder if that was written or if that is a improvised thing. Because, you know, we've mentioned before that this show does allow the actors to improvise a lot. And I always assume it's scenes like this where everyone's just talking over each other. I can't imagine that someone has written out every word that people are supposed to say I think it's probably like, okay, here's the lines we have to hear. Mm-hmm. And then you can embellish in between whatever feels natural. And I noticed it wasn't on the subtitles. I don't know if that is an indicator at all, but it seemed to me like maybe that was a Monica Potter ad lib. And it seemed really in character to me that like, yeah, Sarah certainly does have a little bit of a uh, woe is me setting that she switches to fairly often. And that Christina would maybe reveal in a heated moment. I hate when you do that. Huh. I find it mostly compelling that Sarah has insecurities. You know, like at the end when she and Adam are talking and Adam's like, I had to convince my whole family to come. And she says, you know what? I worked really hard to get my whole family to come. You succeeded. I failed. You know, surprise, surprise. That's how it always goes. And we've heard that a lot from Sarah just in one season of this show, this idea that she thinks everyone else is a better parent. And I feel like that's such an honest place that she goes to. But I wonder if Christina thinks it's not honest. Maybe Christina thinks it's emotionally manipulative that she sort of maybe plays the victim. I don't see it that way personally, but I could see someone else, especially someone who hasn't watched 13 or 12 episodes of television, but has known her for decades and is like, oh, you know, and and that is fascinating because I thought Sarah came off a lot better in this episode than Christina, but trying to see it from Christina's point of view. Well, in that scene you mentioned when she says that to Adam, he like turns to the side and practically rolls his eyes. And I think he says, oh God. Wow. Because it is sort of like, yeah, if anyone has a criticism of you, you just immediately default to, oh, right. I can't do anything right. And I should just move. Like, (gasps) what? Yeah. You know, Sarah, I had to work so unbelievably hard to get my family there today. I forced Hattie to go knowing that Amber was going to be there. She hates me. You guys couldn't even show up. I worked so unbelievably hard to try to get my family to be there, and I failed, and you succeeded. It's no big surprise. Look, we had a ridiculous fight, and 
Mom just said don't go, and I agreed. Oh, so it's Mom's fault that you couldn't make it there. Amber lied. She's still seeing Steve. Patty walked into them kissing at school. I'm sorry. Oh, Adam, I'm so tired of being the problem. No, do something about it. Well, I'm just beginning to feel like maybe we should just move back, you know? Maybe this whole thing was just a big mistake. No, I didn't say that. I kind of feel like the whole situation is blown out of proportion on both ends. I mean, these are high schoolers, and, yeah. you know, they're all going to do stupid things. Sarah's attitude kind of bugged me, too. Huh. I'm not sure I necessarily disagree with her, but she does just seem, like, so incredibly defeatist, almost to the point of helplessness. Huh. And I, I, I kind of agreed with Adam when he's like, do something about it. Wow. And I, I don't know what that thing is. So, I, you know, I, I'm not totally against her, but I just thought her jumping to, well, maybe we should move, was like melodramatic and not particularly helpful. Because what would that fix? I mean, I suppose it would keep their conflicts from impacting anyone else. But aside from this incident, have they been inflicting a lot of pain on the rest of the family? I don't... I mean, they got arrested in the pilot, but that was Hattie's fault, <laughs> not Amber's. And again, no one listened to Amber about it. Yeah. I just sort of feel like, no, that's not it. Although I also think Megan raises a good point. Maybe the whole thing is just a little bit overblown. Like, just give it a little time. Well, I, I'm so interested that you said that you thought, like, that you kind of sided more with Adam, because I completely sided with Sarah in that conversation. When she said, oh, Adam... She just sounded so tired. She just sounded worn out. And I've just got to think, man, if if you moved because you didn't have money, because your marriage had failed, and you had tried to help your your husband who had all these significant problems, and man, you, you think this is going to be your fresh start, and then something happens that like basically implodes the family, I don't even think a lot of things would have to happen. You know, she already approaches everything like everything's her fault. And I think that's a very sincere feeling that she has. And I just, I felt very sad for her um, in that conversation. And I'm sure it's dramatic to say maybe we should move, but it felt honest. You know, she probably felt like, oh, this was a mistake. I thought this was going to help and it didn't. Now my family's mad at me and they weren't mad at me before. And, you know, I also just feel so bad I think before I really saw both Hattie and Amber's sides, but in this episode, I felt just much worse for, for Amber. I thought, God, that would be so awful to have these girls treat you the way that they do. And the way that everyone is acting like Amber lied, I don't know that she ever said, that I really don't. That really bothered me. Yeah. Yeah. It bothered me so much. I'm like, she didn't say, I, I, and nothing is happening with Steve anymore. And right. I, I think it makes it better that Amber really cares about Steve and is having a hard time letting him go. Because if she didn't care about him, then she did just sleep with her cousin's ex for no good reason. But she really cares about him. And 
I think, why is everyone acting like that's a betrayal? Hattie's not with Steve. We already know they slept together. I don't know why it makes it so much worse that Hattie sees them at school kissing. I mean, I get that that's painful, but I don't get where that makes Amber a liar. I really, yeah, so. Well, and then Amber, she didn't even really seek him out that day that they were kissing, right? Like he was calling to her and she was ignoring him. I don't think there's anything vindictive about the situation. I think she just really likes this dude. And I haven't seen them interact at all besides that one part where they're kissing. And I just, I feel like she's a super genuine girl. And I don't know why I think that after watching her for 10 minutes, but I do. Largely because Mae Whitman is so good. Oh yeah, I love her so so good. Oh, I think my favorite scene in the whole episode is when Sarah is asking Amber what happened. That scene made me cry. That, it, it made me cry. I'm like gonna cry just talking about it because... The idea that Amber is growing up to see herself the way that Sarah sees herself and maybe Sarah is noticing it like, oh God, you think there's something wrong with you just like I do. And you think that you don't deserve happiness. No one is talking about that. Amber's right at the beginning when she says, you know why we slept together? Because we had a connection that you didn't have. And that's true. And that seems to be the part of the story that everyone is ignoring, I think, (laughs) you know, like they're just acting like Amber did this to be cruel. And that's that's not at all the case. I also loved that scene with Sarah. Let me go back to the Sarah and Adam thing just for a little bit, because I think I do disagree a little bit. I do feel bad for Sarah because she has this. We all know that she has this insecurity, this like failure complex But I think when Adam says do something about it, this sounds really heartless, but I'm just going to say it. I almost feel like what he's saying do something about is her failure complex. It's Mm. like we're all trying to solve this conflict. And if we also have to solve how bad you feel about yourself while we're doing it, it's just going to take us all a lot longer. If you could get over yourself and focus on the issue at hand, it would be a lot easier. Wow. And so her saying, oh, I'm tired of being the problem. Oh, we should just move. Both irrelevant. (laughs) Stop focusing on that. And let's think about our kids. I feel like in a way she's just thinking about herself. And I get it. I get that why she feels that way. And in that sense, I do sympathize with her. But I can also see, you know, when you have someone in your family coming from maybe a legitimate perspective, but it's something that has bugged you for years and years and years. It's like, oh, we're dealing with this again. Let's all make Sarah's feelings feel better. <laughs> and and then we can, you know, help our kids. I don't know. But they've also been dealing with Adam fixing everybody their whole lives. I mean, Zeke says he did it when he was a child. You know, you're like you're the fixer upper. Things that didn't need fixing, you fixed. And that would be really hard to feel like you have these perfect siblings if your life is like that. I mean, you make a good point, but I just I get think it. I, I'm, I just, yeah. Does she always seem like she needs some sort of validation from her family? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's kind of what yeah. I felt like. Yeah. During that scene, at least that's what came off to me is that she just, I don't know if she like craves just the attention or the validation really is the only way I can think put it. Yeah, she definitely does. Well, and I certainly feel for her when like, you know, well, I don't think Amber lied. But okay, Adam says that she did and that she's still seeing Steve. And Sarah kind of helplessly says, I'm sorry. I can really empathize with that, that feeling of like, I can't make her behave better. All I can do is say I'm sorry yeah, and talk to her about it. But I don't know. It also does feel like 
try anything, anything else. But at the same time, it's it reminds me of when people who have had privileged lives say things like, well, just pull yourself up, you know, like Adam, he has hardships. I mean, what what he and Christina are navigating with Max, I don't mean to minimize that, but he has this really successful marriage and he's successful at work. I don't think he could even imagine what it would be like to be in a relationship with someone with an addiction. You know, I, I just I feel like he is in this moment. I feel like he's this condescending person who's like, just be better and not really taking into account the full spectrum of Sarah's trauma and you know, just everything that she's ever gone through. I feel like he's being pretty dismissive of it. But is it really pertinent here? Because I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like, if Sarah makes every issue about what a hard life she's had, then she wins every argument. But she loses every argument. You know, I don't think she's trying to... Well, she has to. Otherwise, she can't make people feel bad for her. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean... Wow. I'm really playing a little bit devil's advocate because I like (laughs) Sarah, but... I just don't see it that way at all, I guess. I feel like maybe if I knew them in real life, I would have a different feeling. But just, I feel like Sarah is so much more compassionate than either Adam or Christina. I felt like Adam was wrong to make Hattie go to the walkathon. Hattie, you can't go through life allowing your pain to dictate how you behave. It's easy to sit here in your bedroom and wallow in your hurt feelings. It's hard to rise above it. This isn't about you, it's not about Amber, this is about Max. I'm not gonna force you to go, but I'm asking you to do this for me. What do you say? Yeah. All right, thank you. I could see someone having a different opinion on that, but I just thought, that's selfish. You're making this about you. He keeps calling it his shindig. If ha- if his daughter is going through something and would rather not see her cousin, I didn't think that was such a big deal. And Christina is also just so narrow-minded about Hattie's completely right. And I think Sarah, you know, she's trying to get her kids to go. When when Camille was like, we're not going. It's not worth it. I totally thought Camille was right. I'm like, yeah, have waffles. Just just calm down. This is all such a big deal. And and who who cares about any of it? The, you know, you've already logged the miles, as Max said. That's all that matters. <laughs> You're gonna get the money. You know, like sometimes the Bravermans don't know boundaries. They don't know taking breaks. That might be part of their problem. Adam's mad at Sarah. He immediately goes over there and like makes her feel bad. You know, like, don't these people ever just say to each other, I need some time away from you. I need space. Hattie was making a very reasonable request, in my opinion. She needed space. She and her cousin just literally came to blows. They are not in a good place. And Adam's like, for me, you need to be in the same spot. And when Christina says, well, then then Amber's not going. Adam wants it his way. And he's like, nope, they're both going. And it's like, Adam, oh my God, you need to realize that these girls, they need space. They need time. I see your points on almost all yeah. points. <laughs> I also feel like people are not bringing up enough that Hattie and Steve were broken up. Yeah. She did not cheat. Now, I understand why it's still an issue. I'm not saying, ah, so nothing's wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I think we would all do well to make that point explicit. I agree that Adam is being a little 
not even a little. Adam's being controlling about this whole thing. And for what reason? To kind of like make a point or so that he still maintains the perfect Adam appearance. Ooh, that's interesting. But I also felt like Sarah's kids in that scene felt pretty selfish to me. You know, I get why Amber didn't want to go, but not so much Drew. Oh, well, if Amber's not going, I'm not going to go. I think he's being what? a good brother, honestly. She's upset and he wants to be with her. I think She'll that's be fine. It. Camille's there. I, it just seemed like they didn't care at all about what Sarah wanted. I do kind of agree with you, Caleb. Thank you. Well, <laughs> because, I mean, I, I, I don't know what it's like to have siblings, but I kind of feel like was Amber's brother just kind of using that as a reason to get out of going to this commitment? Or is that... Is that maybe too harsh? Is he's probably a good kid? I don't know. He is, but I, yeah, I, I just didn't understand his reason. Like, what? Why? And also, it it seems so important to her clearly for them to go, and they it just seems like they could care less. And then the minute that Camille says, "I'm making waffles," then they're so flippant about, oh, "Great, sorry, mom, tough." Uh, can you guys have a little compassion for your mom? She's really struggling with something, and you're not sympathetic at all. To be fair, I would much rather eat waffles than do the physical activity they were going to do. I agree. Well, and I I did think it was strange. It's like, okay, so there was this big reason why Sarah's family wasn't there. But why weren't Julia and Crosby there? What's what's their excuse? They said Julia's taking care of Lucy Essman. I was like, what? So none of them can come? I I feel like Adam needed to be a lot angrier at Crosby and Julia than he was because I think for Amber not to be around Hattie is valid. Yeah. And just as Hattie not wanting to be around Amber. And I thought it was sort of shitty that Sarah got the brunt of that. None of his siblings showed up. And she's the Or only his one. dad. Or his dad. And that's why Camille didn't want to go because Zeke, he did, she didn't want to deal with, with Zeke and he wasn't even there. And I don't think they even say boo about that. And so I felt like, you know, maybe part of the reason Sarah feels piled on is because she's piled on. Okay, sorry. What were you yeah. going to say about Adam? Oh, that I, I was going to say I thought it was unfair of Adam to ask Hattie to go. I don't think it's unfair of him to ask her. I think it's unfair of him to expect her to go. You know, if she says, you know, I'm really not feeling it then I think she has a legitimate point. Although I do appreciate, as corny as it sounds, I do appreciate his point about like, we won't always have each other. And so you have to rise above and and relish every moment you have. And I also appreciated the point about not letting your pain dictate your behavior. I, I was kind of flabbergasted that Hattie agreed to go. Talk about rising above it. I thought that was kind of amazing and I think it will teach her a great lesson. Stuff is going to be hard and you're not going to want to do it, but you can do it. You can get through it and it won't destroy you. She, I, I feel like, you know, like we've talked about like Joel is more funny on this rewatch than we realized. I think I always had this idea of Hattie as being kind of bratty. And I think compared to Amber, she is like a younger soul, you might say. But she's really kind of amazing, and I'm having an appreciation of her as we're watching that I didn't. She has a really good head on her shoulders, and that was such a big ask of a teenager the day after all this stuff went down. Yeah. I don't think she should have been expected to go. And I think the fact that she willingly changed her mind 
she deserves a thousand stickers for that. Oh, <laughs> I feel like I was being way too harsh on her now. <laughs> after hearing your points because you make totally valid points. Sorry, Hattie. <laughs> but she can be kind of bratty. I mean, as can most people her age, though. Yeah. I did think she came off so much better later in the episode, like in the first scene with her friends. Is she she felt like one of them, like aligned with them, like a bully, just like they were. But I really did love the nuance of later when her friends were being awful to Amber and she was like, what? you're so mean. Why are you doing this? This isn't about you. It's about my family. And I, I liked that. It made it a lot uh, more complicated and um, for better TV because she's not a villain and, and Amber's not the misunderstood hero. You know, they're, they're both just uh, hurt. One little thing right after that, when Amber walks by Steve and he's like chatting with his friends, one of his friends is future Grey's Anatomy star, Jake Borelli. Oh, I didn't know that. That's fun. He has one line. <laughs> Does that trip our Grey's Anatomy alarm? We don't have one of those. We don't have one. <laughs> Jumping back just a bit, after Sarah and Christina have their little dust up in the kitchen, the next scene is Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> speculating about it, which I thought was just kind of funny. Now, if Christina and Sarah did mix it up, who do you think wins that fight? Because Christina's got reach, but uh-huh. Sarah is very scrappy. She's a Fresno bartender, uh-huh. and they got to be ready to throw down at the drop of a hat. Now, I got to tell you, I would like a ringside seat to that uh-huh. fight. No, you're an idiot. No, anyway, Christina is outraged about the whole betrayal, so I have to deal with that every day. And uh, how does Papa Bear feel about all this? Major headline for me? Hattie didn't have sex. Good headline. Headline number two is she didn't have sex with Steve. No, I don't want her first time to be. Well, there'll be one, too. Thanks a lot for that. Well, anyway, I don't want it to be a bad experience with some guy who'd go break her heart. That's so sweet. I have to say, I was, like, super impressed by that. I agree. Uh, You know, we've talked a lot about the weird, protective, kind of patriarchal, puritanical (laughs) father-daughter sex (laughs) attitude that's been going on in this series. But I I haven't said yet that I don't think it's wrong for a parent not to want their 15-year-old to be having sex. And I loved that he, kind of for the first time ever, made a point of saying, not just I don't want her to have sex, I don't want her to have sex with that guy. Mm -hmm. That, I thought, seemed more on her side than it had up to now. It's like, oh, I, I feel something is off about this guy. I don't trust him. And I think he's going to use her and break her heart. And it's like, well, that feels more noble and sweeter. And I got to say, Dak Shepard's delivery in that whole scene was cracking me up. I love that. He was like, I would love a seat. And it's because of the cat bite. Like the way, like, I don't know, the way he delivered everything. She's got reach, but she's scrappy. I don't know. Like it was just, She's a Fresno bartender. They have to throw down. All I'm doing is quoting it. Yeah. But yeah. it was just, I thought... There was a really good illustration of what makes Dak Shepard so funny. And I feel like he does it consistently. I don't know if we shout it out enough, but I also felt that way at the very beginning. You already played the clip. But when Max is like, and the winner gets a trophy, and he was like, a trophy. And he just, you know, I think that he is so joyful. I just think his character is joyful in a way. This is not a funny situation, what's going on with Amber and Hattie, but it's like, Crosby has even able to find the joy in that and and posing this this ridiculous fight thing. And and he brings a lightness to the family and he brings lightness to the episode, which is pretty heavy. So I think it needs it. And yeah, I just wanted to point that out that I really loved him in that scene. And then we touched on this briefly, but um, I'm just going to play it to see if it can make you cry just listening to it. Okay, yeah. You want to tell me what happened? You know what happened? 
Not from you, I don't. What's the difference? There's a difference. I feel like if you need a scene that is illustrating what being a good parent is, it's that one. It's not just automatically taking your kid's side no matter what. I agree that Hattie is incredible. I really do. But I'm thinking now about kids I know, kids I teach, and I'm thinking about what leads to entitlement. And what leads to entitlement is just taking your kid's side no matter what. And I think what's more important is... is hearing your kid listening and being willing to like accept who they are all the layers when they mess up don't villainize them but don't think that they're always just perfect either I don't know I just loved that she gave her the chance to tell her side um no one else did yeah I agree I I thought it was exemplary parenting coming from someone with no kids I think it must be so hard to balance you know, the jobs as a parent. Because like no one, including Amber herself, thinks that what she did was okay. Right. So it's not like Sarah can just say, you didn't do anything wrong. But her job as a mother is to be there for her kid and and to stick by her and love her through anything. And I feel like she did that. She didn't approve of what Amber did or absolve her of what she did. But like she just sort of set it aside for a minute. It felt like, like, let's stop the bleeding first. And then we contend to like the wound later, but I, I just thought she handled it really well. And that Amber will come away from this knowing someone's got my back. Yeah. And then I also loved a little detail in the scene because when it first started, I'm like, Oh, they're just sitting on their stoop about to have a good cry. What's going on? When I watched it again, I realized the first and last shot, you see that they have the shoes on. Oh, and it felt to me like, Oh, they're going to go for a walk. They're going to go log some miles. And before they do, or maybe they just did, but they certainly look very not sweaty like I would <laughs> after miles of walking. So I appreciated that it was like, oh, they're going to go on a walk. But first, before they do, they're going to have a little moment together. So that's not just like, let's set our scene here for no discernible reason. <laughs> yeah. And Mae Whitman crying is always gold. In a She's scene. so good. You know, Megan, you'd said that you were a fan of Mae Whitman's. Um, what were some of the roles that you've seen her in that that you, you know, like? Uh, the first time I saw her was in Independence Day. Um, <laughs> but then I didn't really know much about her until I saw The Duff, which I really loved. Oh, I love The Duff. And then watching Good Girls after that, she's really great at that. Yeah, she's, I think, really underrated. I think she is a fantastic actress. One really tiny observation in that scene where Stephen Amber eventually kiss, he says, I've been thinking about you all the time. And Amber says, 
Really? Oh. And it made me think of in the pilot when Jim says, you're more beautiful than I remember. And she goes, really? And it's just like, oh, the women in this family really fall for, um, there's this old song called The Lies of Handsome Men. (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's, yeah. But those aren't lies. They are beautiful. And he probably has been thinking about her. I guess they're not lies, but it's just like you give them one compliment and they're yours. It could be lines. I mean, they definitely sound like it. That's good. Yeah, I think maybe part of the reason that I was so firmly (laughs) sort of team Amber and team Sarah in this episode was that I think that's one of my insecure like I think I want a lot of validation too and it's hard for me to even pinpoint why but I think that might be maybe one of my least favorite things about myself but you know I I you know how some people say compliments make them uncomfortable not me I love compliments (laughs) (laughs) and um I want to pretend that I don't and I'm you know and I'm like oh shoot thank you but like I actually probably need them in a way that's unhealthy and you know sometimes it's, it's interesting I mean I've been with my husband for such a long time and he's such a good man but it's like weird. I still vividly remember what it felt like to have my heart broken in like past relationships or like how when I was growing up, I often felt like I didn't belong or I wasn't good enough. And I think so maybe I really just relate to some of the things Sarah says. And I'm like pretty successful. I mean, you know, I'm a teacher, so I'm a millionaire. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, like, I mean, I'm doing okay. And and I'm in a really loving marriage. So I, you know, it's, it's funny. I think when I was younger, I thought, oh, I'll get a good job and I'll like get in a good relationship and it will like erase everything. (laughs) You know, it'll make all the, you know, insecurity I ever had just go away. And that hasn't been the case really at all. I mean, I'm, I'm much more confident than I used to be. But I think some of those wounds are very, um, I don't know, they're, they're, they're long lasting. And so I don't know even what, my, why, why did I get into all this? I well, don't strange. Even know. I would say needing a lot of validation is true for me too. And it's one of my least favorite things about myself. And yet I think it manifested in me watching this episode as not liking it in Sarah either. Oh. Stop that. Stop doing that thing I hate that I do too. <laughs> and it made me just feel bad for her. That's interesting. It also just that. seems in a way like, I mean, not we've already discussed it, but in a way it's like she's milking it a little bit. And it's not that her problems aren't real because they certainly are, but it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's also not to say that I'm on Adam or Christina's side because I'm not. It's complicated. It is. My last thing about this whole storyline, two questions. One, who would mispronounce Braverman? <laughs> Braverman. <laughs> and two, is that really the kind of thing where they would have an acceptance speech? Like, yeah, is anyone in the crowd going, I can't wait to hear what the winning walker <laughs> has to say? I, maybe. Maybe they were. he was just supposed to come get the trophy and not say anything, but <laughs> he Uh-oh, started he's talking. talking. What do we do? <laughs> we'll just go with it. I don't know. So the first note I took about the Crosby Jasmine storyline in this episode was about seahorse tea, (laughs) which apparently is a real thing. Oh, really? Dried seahorse mixed with herbs and boiled as a tea is believed in Chinese medicine to treat asthma and male sexual dysfunctions such as impotence and premature ejaculation. 
but not back pain. <laughs> I didn't find anything about back pain. I did find one article about how like they think it might have actual benefits to some types of arthritis. Huh. But it's mostly believed to have, you know, asthma and then these male sexual things. And I wonder, I didn't find this, but I wonder if the reason that there is that belief is because male seahorses are the seahorses that get pregnant and give birth which is very rare. Males have a pouch. Females put their eggs into the pouch. Then the male fertilizes them with sperm and carries the baby and gives birth to them. Sometimes around like a thousand babies Good at a time. Night. Wow. <laughs> so what you're, what I'm hearing is that if Jasmine and Crosby were seahorses, Crosby definitely would have known about Jabbar right off the bat. Yes, you got that right. <laughs> uh, the first thing I noticed about their storyline was how freaking adorable, again, Dax Shepard's line delivery. But when um, Jasmine, like in the beginning, like comes into the room and she's like, okay, he's asleep. And he's like, oh, yay. And he's like, I thought I would die of loneliness. But it was like <laughs> just very like playful and just exaggerated for cuteness. You know, it was just... I, I really think they're doing a good job of showing the progression of their relationship and how they're getting closer and 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 real intimacy stuff like that. Not like because then they go on to like attempt the sex thing that and to me from the Discovery a, Channel. What what show on the Discovery <laughs> Channel is showing sex positions? I don't know. That's funny. Yeah, I didn't even question it. I'm like, okay, people are inspired from various you know sources. <laughs> the issue soon arises that this audition she has is for Alvin Ailey. You know, you um, you didn't tell me they were in New York. Everybody knows they're in New York. I didn't. Don't you think that's, you know, something we should talk about? There's nothing really to talk about. I'm not going to get it. Okay, well, what if you do get it? Well, I'm not. Okay, but in some crazy world where you get it, then what happens? I'm not going to get it. It's a long shot, really. The only reason why I'm doing this is to see if I still have what it takes. Did you think it was okay that she's auditioning for something that would make her move all the way across the country and doesn't mention it to her boyfriend? Did you have any thoughts on that one way or the other? I don't think I realized where the show took place. So is, oh, uh, right. <laughs> for some reason, I thought they were like in Connecticut or something, but that's not the case, is it? No, they're in California. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big deal because they have a child, right? Mm -hmm. Unless she truly thinks that she's not going to get it and just kind of doing it for fun. But I mean, yeah, it's probably something you'd want to discuss, I would think. I feel like her excuse is a little weak. If she says, if I get it, I won't take it, then I think it's fine. But if you're not going to promise that, then we need to talk about it. I felt like it indicated a little bit that she still thinks of Jabbar as totally hers. Mm, and she yeah. just gets to make all the decisions and Crosby's just along for the ride. I don't know. I uh, I thought Joy Bryant did something really great um, just acting wise in that scene when Crosby mentions, you know, that it's in New York. She before she says everyone knows it's in New York. She has this totally guilty expression. I, it's just it's so good. He mentions it and she like kind of looks to the side and is like, oh, and then she says everyone knows it's in New York. So like, I think if you only hear that scene, it maybe sounds more dismissive than it is. You know, I think I think that watching it, um, she she knows she should have told him. But I think that you're right, Caleb. I think it basically boils down to she's had five years of 
or, or a whole lifetime, depending on how you look at it, you know, because before Jabbar was around, uh, she probably made decisions for herself as well. And so, yeah, it's it's got to be a real change to suddenly factor someone in, you know, that's got to be. And, and I think she should have done it. But I think it's probably pretty understandable that that's not her go to. And that's part of being in a new relationship, right, is like learning how to factor each other in and how to not just think of yourself first, but maybe think of not necessarily the other person first, but think of all of you together. Like, how will this all work? Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah. Well, and by the laws of television, I don't expect them to be bringing up this possibility that she could get a job that takes her and her child to the other side of the country only to have her not get it. I think we can, (laughs) you know, any issues of spoilers aside, I think people could probably guess, oh, she's going to get it, isn't she? And then they're going to have to decide. I will say for anyone who doesn't know, Alvin Ailey is a world famous modern dance company based in New York and founded by a man named Alvin Ailey. It began as an all-black company in 1958, then shifted to a multiracial makeup, uh, but it is still heavily black-influenced. I think that is what I certainly associate with it. Anyway, I worked with some members of Alvin Ailey on a movie earlier this year, and Ah. um, they were, I mean, I guess maybe I should say worked near, because I didn't (laughs) get to work with them a lot, but I got to watch them in rehearsal a lot, and they are unreal. It's just to see people who really do that at the top of their field is amazing. I also want to say I've played a lot of dance calls in my time. Uh, none of them were family allowed to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so that struck me as a little, although it was maybe worth it just to see Jabbar playing the air drums. So oh my cute. God. I love well, just him saying like, mommy, you're going to get it, you know, like that was so sweet. And then for Crosby to also say, I, I think you're right. I think she's going to get it. And I just love their dynamic. I don't know. I think they've done a really good job of developing that whole three person family over the course of the season. Well, moving on to Julia. So I, dad, have you spoken to him? Well, if there's anything else that I can do or any of the other kids, Sweetie, I'm this sure is I... not up to you to fix or your brothers and sisters. This is up to your father and I to fix I if know. it can be fixed. I know. I'm just asking. I know, but it puts pressure on me to make it work. And that doesn't help. Okay. Pressure's never helpful. Right. We don't have to talk about it. I'm sorry. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So you think Dad will move back in soon? No. I was kind of proud of Camille for like sticking up for herself a little bit. I was too. I appreciate that about Camille in general. I think she's pretty forthright. You know, I I think she says usually very kindly, but what she needs, or maybe she's just learned to do that after all this time, or maybe she's just now doing it, I guess. When Zeke episodes ago was trying to make a joke out of the time one of the kids vomited on her and she's like, you know what, that wasn't funny. And 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 here, you know, saying, you know, pressure's never helpful. I don't think she's ever like shaming anyone or being mean, but she is standing up for herself. Although I think we are supposed to think that it's kind of new for her. Yeah, maybe we are. That's the impression I get. Yeah. Well, then good for her. for. Yeah, and if that's the case, I'm like, rock on. You're doing yeah. it. Yeah. That's hard to do. And I think it's hard to do if you've had a whole life of being kind of a people pleaser. Yeah. And with your own family. Yeah. 
Um, Julia is kind of relegated to this, a little bit of a throwaway plot line. <laughs> I had one thought about that. I should have asked my brother-in-law, who is a plastic surgeon, who he's done many breast augs, as I think they call it in the biz. But I, I, I don't think that if you've had a breast aug so recently that you can't lift a pot of soup, that you would invite strangers to touch your breasts. Huh. Because she goes like, oh, I shouldn't touch them. And she's like, oh, I got boobs. Feel them. They're so perky. And it's like, if you can't lift, I bet you have like stitches or something. And you don't want someone grabbing them. That's such a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. It totally ruined the episode for me. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, did you have any thoughts on that storyline? I kind of wasn't sure what the point of it was, just because I don't know any of the backstory with Eric Christensen's character. Uh, this is not related to the storyline, but the lady that she does visit, I really like that actress. She was in Transparent, and I, I really like her a lot. Do you think that she was right to be using this angel committee for elective surgery? Um, Maybe not. I mean... Who am I to say, you know, what she can and can't do after the surgery? I see why Julia was a little, like, perturbed to be taking care of someone who, I guess, put themselves in that situation. But on the other hand, but she's still recuperating. She still needs some help. And if that's what the committee is for, I, I don't know. I was, I was evenly torn. Well, maybe she wanted some company. I don't know. I don't know anything about this lady. She's got friends. I mean, we know her husband left her. Maybe she just wanted to have someone there with her. That's what I thought too. And I was I was pretty torn on this storyline because I did think Julia was awfully judgmental. But at the same time, I get it. She's very busy and she's also got this whole drama with her parents going on and you know, if, if the purpose of the committee is to to help people in need. But then I thought how do you define people in need? I mean, to me, it's not even the fact that she had the surgery, but her husband just left. She is clearly, you know, we talked earlier about needing like validation or something. I think she's needing, like Megan said, company, friendship. Maybe if your husband leaves you for a younger woman, you want to think that you're worth someone making you soup. Apparently, she requested only home-cooked food and um, she found a receipt floating in the soup. That's weird, right? I mean, <laughs> that's not an ingredient. I have to say, I love that this trend of discovering that Joel is so low-key funny. Yeah. I, I felt that with that, too. I loved it. Yeah, I liked that even though it was maybe kind of a throwaway storyline in some ways, I liked that, for one thing, that Lucy character made Julia see what her mom was going through in a way that she might not have otherwise. And I thought that was important. And I, it was also nice, Megan doesn't know this because it's a previous episode, but in our previous episode, Julia and Joel were kind of not in a great place. Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of a fight, just kind of some awkwardness, but it was nice to see them so light together. That's how life works more than television. Not everything is necessarily building chronologically. Like maybe they file that fight away and maybe the next time they fight, it gets brought up because people do that, right? But it doesn't mean that necessarily they're plunged into some dark storyline immediately. You know, it, it, there's there's dark moments and there's light moments. And I love that they were able to laugh about this, this situation. Now, here's a real tangent for you. <laughs> Fun. Lucy says to Julia, we can't all be like you, so naturally endowed. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think have I know either where you're you, going. <laughs> have either you or Megan ever 
felt like jealousy or criticism from smaller breasted women. That's true. We do both have big boobs naturally, don't we? I was trying not to say that, but... um, We are. It is what it is. (laughs) I haven't experienced criticism, but jealousy, and I'm not trying to like, you know, sound conceited. I've just had people literally tell me that they were jealous. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it was mainly probably like, you know, in the bathroom at a bar in college, people are drunk, <laughs> boobs are out. You know? Have you ever inspired someone to enhance their own breasts? Oh, I am just, would not be surprised. <laughs> but no, I'm sure, I'm sure. No, that hasn't happened. Um, Huh. I don't, I don't think anyone's ever expressed jealousy to me, um, but I have been a little self-conscious about them before. I don't really feel like they fit my frame that well. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I don't have like an hourglass. Like, I have pretty narrow hips, but I just have big breasts. <laughs> I don't know. I used to be really self-conscious about them, actually. I used to wear bras that would like smash them down. I didn't want anyone to notice them. Um, I remember when I was 16, a guy dated me because of them. And he told all his friends when we broke up that the only reason he dated me was because I had big boobs and I was stupid. Is what he said. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah, so I think for me, they've actually not been a source of confidence, but like a source of um, insecurity, weirdly. I don't know. I sound really insecure in this episode. But I think that, yeah, they used to I used to think like if people think I'm pretty, is that why? Or, you know, are people just looking at that? I, I don't know. It was. Yeah, so I I would like to be able to just be like, yeah, these are great. I I don't know. But I've never really looked at it like that before. And in fact, sometimes I'm like interested in the fact that people get augmentation. Like I I don't mean judgmental about that because I think people should do whatever makes them feel beautiful, you know, and and if that makes you feel beautiful, good, do it. But I think from just my own perspective of like, I remember being at a party in college and um a couple of guys just kept guessing what my bra size was and as and and it actually made me leave the party and as i was leaving the party they were like shouting guesses after <gasps> me oh my god yeah it was really awful and it was just also were they anywhere close to accurate because like <laughs> i i have no sense of how bras are even measured i mean like i know i know things like oh double d that's big but yeah. i don't know what that that's cup size you know like i I, i'm just so also i'm not straight so maybe straight guys have more knowledge than i would i I just anyway yeah were they were they even in the realm of accuracy i think they were i think yeah i think they i mean they did i don't remember that part very well i just i wouldn't know how to begin to guess someone's (laughs) size that's funny I guess to me the idea that like the same thing that could make me so insecure someone else who's insecure would make theirs bigger. You know, it's like, I don't know. I find that just kind of fascinating, like human nature, you know, like no matter what we look like, sometimes we'll find reasons to be unhappy with it. Me having larger breasts, some people like pay money for that. And I have considered paying money to not have them. And, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, I guess that's something I think about. And I think it might be part of why I just felt so sad for Lucy even before she says the part about her husband leaving her because I thought, you know, Julia to be sort of looking down on her. I'm like, people probably get elective surgery like that because they they aren't happy with themselves in some way. And maybe I'm being pitying now. I don't mean it to sound like that. But I just think 
we we are so quick to judge. That's all I'm trying to say. I think we we yeah, yeah we're so quick. Adam is also peripherally invested in his parents' marriage and what's going on there. You know what's going on? You know the truth? Come on, I need to know. I can't operate without it. Look, all I know is that she apparently slept with the guy once. No. But it's over. It's over. God. Oh, well. All right, all right, all right, all right. There you go. See, now I I don't have to think like I'm a crazy man. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for being honest with me. You know, a wise man once told me that we always have to forgive each other and not get hung up on the past. Team Braverman. Yep. I would not want to discuss my parents' sex life with the other parent. Well, with anyone, no. really. But <laughs> I wrote down EEKS in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think one thing I am realizing on this, this rewatch is the lack of boundaries in these relationships. I, I don't know if I think they should be talking about it. And I don't know if it's fair Camille told Sarah that she slept with her art teacher. And so Sarah tells Adam. And so Adam tells Zeke. So it's like Camille might as well have told Zeke, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I'm not even blaming Adam and Sarah for that because I feel like, well, perhaps they shouldn't have ever known that information, you know, and, and I don't think it's about keeping secrets from your kids. I think it's about maybe not burdening them with information that isn't for them to know. Um, I, I this don't is know. why they need friends. They need friends. <laughs> Camille, <laughs> tell your girlfriend about yeah. the guy you slept with, not your daughter who lives in your house. Yeah. Although I am, I am like Zeke. I would much rather know bad news than not know, even if it's you know something I don't want to hear. What about, are you guys the same or you, is ignorance bliss? <laughs> I like knowing what I'm dealing with. Yeah, in the same way, in most situations. The part of that <laughs> scene that I really loved is just at the end, it's maybe dumb, but I really loved that um, Zeke said to Adam, help me up. And then Adam helped him up. And then Zeke said, I don't want your help. If I need your help, I'll ask for it. And Adam says, you did ask for it. <laughs> it was just this ridiculous. <laughs> and I think it was maybe just funny. And maybe that's a case of, you know, they're ad-libbing the lines. And so maybe that's why it like directly contradicts. But I also thought maybe there's a metaphor in that, you know, this idea of like the parents want their kids to stay out of it. Like Camille says to Julia, this is not for you and your brothers and sisters to fix. This is for us to fix. But she still tells Sarah, she still tells her other daughter what happened, you know, and, and Zeke wants, you know, he, he tells Adam, you know, when you're married for 46 years, come, you know, get back to me and uh, you don't know what you're talking about. You stay out of it. But then in the next episode, he's like, Adam, what do I do? Help me. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, you got to tell me the truth. What's going on with with her and that that, you know, art teacher guy. And so even though it's maybe a reach, I do. I did see something in that comedic scene at the end of of 
help me up. No, don't. <laughs> Where it's like they don't know what they want their kids to to help them with or not. I liked at the end of that scene when Adam says a wise man once told me we have to forgive each other and move on. I think largely because you connected Amber saying there must be something wrong with me. Sorry, I screwed everything up with Sarah's feelings that are the same. And it's interesting to see Adam in that scene say that Zeke taught him we have to always forgive each other and move on. And then that's what he's doing with Hattie. Yeah. Almost bullying her into we have to forgive each other now. Um, (laughs) It's just funny to see, oh, that's where he got that. This is an idea that's been drummed in his head his whole life. Yeah. You know, and like we said a few episodes ago, whatever you grow up with is what you think is normal. That's true. And you know, I, in lots of situations, I think that's probably a really great attitude to have. Forgive each other, move on. But any virtue carried to an extreme becomes a vice. Well, something I find interesting is that old marital advice, never go to bed angry. Um, I've heard many times since then that that's actually terrible advice, that sometimes it's a good idea to go to bed angry because you, you need time to sit with something. And so for Adam to simplify that advice with Hattie and be like, you have to forgive her immediately because someday we're going to die. It's like, yeah, but maybe give them a week. You know, they're going through something. Give them some time. Well, the last scene that I wanted to talk about is Julia and Camille together at the end of the episode. First of all, Julia and Camille together feels like kind of a new combo. I don't think we've gotten a lot of them interacting up to now. And, you know, I've mentioned or I've noticed as we've been rewatching how much Julia really seems like Zeke. And she really does feel like a daddy's girl. Yeah. And thus far in Zeke and Camille's issues... It has felt, and I didn't even realize it, like Julia is kind of on Zeke's side. Like she thinks, oh, he had this bad investment and that's the problem. So he's in trouble and mom's mad at him for it. So I got to help dad because he's the one going through something. And like you said, with Lucy, it was nice to see that someone got her to look at things a little bit more from Camille's perspective. But how fascinating was it that Lucy said, did your dad cheat on your mom? And Julia says no, because she doesn't realize that (laughs) ding, 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 Lucy is absolutely right. And that her parents' marital problems go much deeper than Julia thinks they do. So it's interesting that this total stranger is tapping into something and Julia's like too close to it. I actually didn't think that was uh, too convenient at all. I bought it because I think sometimes when we are really close to something, we we don't see it. And I think for this woman who was just cheated on, that's exactly where she would go. And uh, I just thought it was interesting that she was right and Julia was wrong. Yeah. And I thought their scene was really sweet. Mom, I don't know. I guess I'm being kind of selfish. It scares me. The idea of you guys not being together. I know. I want to. I want to be there for you. I want to help you. You know, I can't, I, it can't be easy. Thank you, sweetie. It means the world to me. See, you are an angel. Let's have some more soup. Megan, you're close with your mom. Have you two just ever eaten soup together out of a big vat? Does that qualify as a vat? 
<laughs> Any, that's not the important part. It's a pot. I don't know why I said that. Out of a cauldron, <laughs> Megan? Have you ever? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, we've eaten a lot of food in our days, so maybe so. I don't <laughs> you know. don't rule it out. I can't say for sure. I have to say, I think my biggest disappointment with this episode is that Bonnie Bedelia, I feel like she's hardly in it, and I love her so much. Oh, what do you love her from? Die Hard. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And um, also Sorted Lives. She was in Sorted Lives. Um, she was great in that, which if you haven't seen it, you should totally watch it. It's really hilarious. But I just, I love everything about her. I think she's beautiful. I think she, her voice is just so soothing. So I was really wanting to see a lot more of her, but. I love her too. I always. I'm happy with what I'm I got. I'm wanting a little more Camille. <laughs> yeah. I also thought it was nice in that storyline. I mean, speaking as a grown child of divorce, it is so easy to focus on how hard it is for you mm. and forget that it's hard for your parents too even though they are adults themselves. That doesn't mean they're not scared. And when you do have maybe a closeness with one that you don't have with the other, but then they both need you separately, it's just a very tricky thing to navigate. And I thought it was nice to see Julia kind of admitting, oh, I'm always so easily on dad's side and I maybe have a harder time connecting with you, but I want you to know that I'm here for you too. It's interesting that we kind of called her her storyline a little throwaway and maybe the part with Lucy is, but maybe not because it gets her there. You know, something needed to happen to get her there. And I think that part isn't throwaway at all. It's like integral to this larger storyline of, of Zeke and Camille's marriage and the way that the, you know, four kids are dealing with what's happening. And uh, I thought it was really nice to get to see kind of an in-depth look at, at Julia figuring out that, yeah, her mom is really suffering. Yeah. There were three deleted scenes on the DVD from this episode. Two were kind of inconsequential. One, you know, Zeke refers to Matthew dropped off an easel at your mom's last night. We actually see that in one of the ah. deleted scenes. And he meets Matthew and is talking to him and he's kind of a big oaf like he often is. And then another piece of information that I realized we didn't get, but that doesn't really matter, Adam dropping Zeke off at Julia's, that he's going to go stay with her now, not Adam. Huh. And it did occur to me when he goes to meet him, he's like talking to Sarah on the phone while he's driving. And then he pulls up to Joel and oh, Julia's yeah. house where Zeke is. And at first I was like, where is he? What's going on? He switched houses. But the third scene was Camille with, I think, Sarah. I can't believe I don't remember now. And she's remembering that they used to read the kids the little engine that could. And that she and Zeke would joke that he was the little train wreck that could. <laughs> and then she clearly is missing him. And she calls him my little train wreck. <laughs> and... It seems like that deleted scene might indicate that they're driving toward a resolution because it really did seem like she was missing Zeke. And I don't think we get that in any other scene. I didn't get it that she was, I mean, if anything, it seemed like she was really kind of done with him. Yeah. When she's, you know, when Julia asks, well, is dad moving back home? I thought it was unexpected that instead of Camille saying, what did I just say about pressure? <laughs> Which is what I would have said. <laughs> instead, she answers her and says, no. I don't. And so, yeah, it seems to me like it's heading towards a permanent, you know, separation. Yeah. Well, any overall thoughts on the episode? Megan, what about you? Well. Thank you, by the way, um, for watching yeah. this show. And like, oh, sure, you know, sure. you know, I think 
I liked it more than I expected, uh, just from all the years of hearing from Caleb that he didn't think I'd like it, <laughs> which I, you know, I don't know that I would go through and watch the whole thing, but I, I am definitely not against it. Victory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's really, um, yeah, keep going. Sorry. Oh, if it were the Mae Whitman and Bonnie Bedelia show, I'd be all over it. <laughs> I, I, I think you might be right about that. It maybe should be. <laughs> no, I love it as is, but they are fantastic. Well, can we can we get into it for a bit? Like, why, Caleb, did you think that Megan wouldn't like it? And then why did that make you want her to see an episode and, and be on the show? Um, it's Other strange. than the fact like, that we love you. Megan and I have a lot of overlap in things we like. But then we have a lot of separate likes as well. And I think just the kind of like weepy <laughs> um, <laughs> family aspect of the show, it just didn't strike me as something that would be like in her, it wouldn't be her bag. <laughs> like I'm like a it's huge Friends, Friends fan. And she, I don't even know if you've ever watched Friends but yeah, it's just a not, few episodes. Yeah, but it's not her thing, and and I don't know why. Or like but, Gilmore Girls, same thing, right? Yes, I've never seen it, but I kind of had the same or have the same feeling about that show. Like I had about Parenthood, which is not fair because I haven't watched Gilmore Girls either. But I, I just like you said, like if it's if it's about family, that sort of thing. I don't know why it doesn't appeal to me. <laughs> I think I, I like, I don't know, I like darker shows, I guess. Oh, that's edgier? a good point because it does seem that is something yeah my tastes are a little more um vanilla i guess well my life is so boring that i guess i just have to get a little excitement from and like action movies like you know you were saying like megan loves action movies that's an area where i'm like no interest <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering yeah it, it, something that caleb and i talked about i think in the pilot episode of this show was how some critics feel like the reason parenthood doesn't appeal to them is it's too much like their own lives you know it's it, we we watch tv and movies to escape um do you feel that way with tv and movies like you want something that is like totally different from your life you know you are close with your with your parents you don't need to see other people be close to their parents <laughs> you know it's yeah yeah, I think you have a point there because um, like the show that I can think of watching most recently that I really, really like that is absolutely nothing like my life is Euphoria. Mm. Like I'm not a 16 year old that's doing, you know, a shit ton of drugs and <laughs> getting beat up by my boyfriend. You know what I mean? Like it's not at all like my life, but for some reason that kind of show or subject, I guess, just really appeals to me. Well, I think it's really valuable to have such a variety of people come experience the show with us. I, I don't know. I think it's it's good. We started by just having like people we knew loved the show. We're like, have fans come on. But then we thought we would also love to have our dearest friends and family come on and just share with them what we've been doing and, you know, kind of get their insight into how do they see this thing that we obviously love. Our expectation is never that we must convert you. <laughs> you must love it. <laughs> we want everyone to be honest. But it's also, I think, really interesting to just pick the brain of somebody who's totally new to it, has never seen another episode. You're just kind of dropped into this world. What do you think? So I, I'm just very grateful that you did that for us. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it was it was an interesting experience. <laughs> and I, I really I really enjoyed it, too. <laughs> Good. I, did you like this episode, Melissa? I loved it. I, I thought so much was happening. Um, 
I don't know. I really did think that it was probably the most interesting episode so far as far as like Christina and Sarah goes. Like I felt like we got layers to them that we hadn't ever gotten before. I thought it was also a really funny one in a lot of ways. So I, I don't know. I, I I thought it was great. What about you, Caleb? Yeah, I liked it. The concept of teams certainly seemed to be like a thread throughout it. Yeah. That like this big extended family is sort of like a Russian nesting doll mm. of lots of other families. So like Adam being pitted between his immediate family and his larger family or um, Hattie between her immediate family and getting along with her extended family. Yeah. Or Julia, you know, between her mom and her dad. It was a lot of like, where do your allegiances lie? Which team are you on? And then I thought that like when Zeke said in that scene, he just says the words team Braverman. <laughs> That it felt like without saying much, he was sort of saying what I imagine the moral of this episode is, if there is one, which is we're all on the same team Hmm. and we've got to all be on the same team for this to really work the way it's supposed to. Caleb, I got to tell you, that was like the most perfect ending thought that we ever could have had for the episode. And I should just have it be the ending thought. But I'm sorry, (laughs) you said something that made me think of a point that I had earlier, which was Christina and Adam talking outside Hattie's door. Do you want to call your sister or should I do it? Because Amber is not going. She's not going. Were you delivering me an ultimatum? Yep, sure am. Well, Deal with I am it. not going to do that to my family. I'm not going to uninvite my family. Adam, we are your family. Listen we are your me. family. Just, okay, listen, so. I want to make a unilateral decision here. I want this to be my call. I want Hattie to go and I want Amber to go. Okay, fine. I want them to get past this. And you know this. what? You tell her that, Adam. You tell your daughter that. Okay, I will. Okay? I will. One big happy freaking family. All right, thank you. I, I thought that was fascinating given our discussion last episode about how does Julia perhaps put her birth family before Joel and then I'm like oh is Adam doing that too and is that part of what it means to be a Braverman and now sometimes their spouses are calling them on it I don't know so yeah I, I you know did, and that yeah. goes to the other point you've been making throughout all of this about boundaries maybe mm. they do need just some more it's like this old Amy Schumer joke I remember her telling about her taking her mom to a soccer game just to show her what boundaries are <laughs> That's fantastic. (laughs) But they just went to a soccer game two episodes ago, and they still haven't learned it. Oh, no. Oh, Bravermans. (laughs) Bravermans. All right. Well, I guess that'll do it for us this week. And we'll thank our guest again, Megan, for being here. Thanks, Megan. We love you. Thank you for having me. It was great. But it was also just super good to see you guys yeah i can't wait to see you for reels i know me too yes all right well thank you again megan and uh listeners you can follow us on instagram and twitter and you could like us on facebook we're at parenthood pals everywhere and parenthoodpals.com well until next time may god bless and keep you always and may your wishes all come true